Good morning. <clears throat> well, is it the most wonderful time of the year? That's a question. That is the question. Well, uh, this time does bring a lot of memories with it, and those memories can come from all sorts of places in our lives, I think. Uh, a lot of my Christmases, uh, even though I was born and raised in Cincinnati, took place in a couple of different settings. Um, we would go to one set of grandparents' homes, one set was in Wisconsin, uh, another set of my grandparents were in Colorado, and uh, when we were there, we'd often go to my uncle's house in Vail. And so most of my Christmases uh, were white. And um, uh, here's, here's a glimpse at uh, some of my Christmases, actually. Yeah, right? I used to be cute. It's my sister there, uh, my older sister, Leah, and uh, myself, sledding in Colorado. The other was Snowman in Wisconsin, and one more. Um, yeah, that's my dad uh, teaching me to ice skate also in Wisconsin, more than likely. Um, a couple years ago, we were able to go back. Here's a, a glimpse of that. And uh, to Colorado, I'm the big one. <laughs> and maybe not much has changed in all those years. So anyway, get off. Let's, well, you got to look at me anyway, I guess. So uh, some of you listening to the audio were like, well, I'm missing something. But maybe you're not. So, anyway, white Christmases, and, uh, and it's difficult, it's weird to be in Oregon then and to uh, try to get this vibe or feel, right, of Christmas. Christmas has a feel, doesn't it? And, uh, and sometimes it doesn't feel like Christmas this year. What is it that it doesn't feel like Christmas? And so much of the things that we put in place, uh, that Advent Devo, if you haven't picked up the Advent Devotional, you can log into it on the YouVersion app, or you can pick out a paper version on the table at the corner. That helps so much to be spending 25 days before Christmas. Although if you hadn't started, jump in with us today. It's all right. You can still start. And, and uh, being in a mindset of that really helps out, I think. And, uh, and one of the things also that I think help is the music. And so this month, we're going to be looking at songs of the season. And you might have been singing today going, why are we singing this song? It has nothing to do with Jesus. I know where you're at. I know you. You see, but what I've learned to do is I learned to find God and things that I can learn uh, from him through every aspect of life because God is in all things. And, uh, and, and so finding ways, we've done this series with our students over and over again, taking their favorite songs and uh, the most popular ones in secular society and looking for God and what we can see about God and ourselves from those songs. And so this most wonderful time of the year is how we're launching this series, and I want to dig into those. Uh, so I want you to think about a, a song that maybe means something to you. Isn't it interesting that a song can take you back to a moment in time? Or, or maybe a scent, you get a whiff of something and it takes you back decades. And so songs can do that for me. And I wonder if you have a song that every time you hear it, it takes you back to a particular time or a specific place or with one uh, person or a family. Is there a Christmas song? that takes you back in your memories back decades to a particular time. And as we think about these songs, this most wonderful time of the year was written in 1963 by Edward Pola and George White. It was recorded and released that same year by Andy Williams for his first Christmas album, although it took some time to get popular because they decided to release as the single to promote 
that record, his remake of White Christmas. And so it took a little bit of time for this song to gain traction. And yet today, the most popular and most recognized version is the one where Andy Williams is singing it from back in 63. And you know it. You know when you have an imposter on that song, don't you? And so to hear that and where does it take you, one of the things that I love is just letting us go uh, to where the music might take us in the season. You know why? Because we hear it no matter where we're at. You hear it on mainstream radio. You hear Jesus being preached inside of Target, inside of office buildings, on the Hallmark channels, in doctor's offices, and even in school and government buildings. Often these Christmas song, songs that talk of Jesus are being played in those places. And you know what? People are more open to an invitation to your home to your community group, and yeah, maybe even to your church at this time of the year than any other. And I believe that a portion of that is because their hearts are being softened by the presence of Jesus being sung about in many of the places that they go. Now, the opposite can be true as well. You see, as we sing this song, it's the most wonderful time of the year, and I asked that a little bit ago. You may have thought, really, Aaron? No, it isn't. And I get that. This can be the most difficult time of the year for many. In fact, when you thought of a memory that went with a particular song, for some of you, you went back to a place that you'd rather not remember. And you felt some of those difficult emotions that you've had in the past because with Christmas comes all kinds of things. I think of financial pressures people going into debt and trying to find the funds to create a great Christmas experience for their families or for their children, especially if they show love, if their, their love language is gifting. And this is why we talk about uh, Advent Conspiracy way back in October, and we have this moment in November figuring out ways that we can give more of ourselves without giving more money. Without going into debt, we can give personally, and we can create things, and we can give time, and we can give energy, and we can give a dinner or just a game night and presence, uh, the present of presents in each other's lives that it doesn't have to cost us, and yet financial pressures are real this time of the year. I think of grief. The first Christmas after the loss of a loved one can be very difficult. It's hard. You can't get away from it. And every song that you hear brings back those memories and you missing somebody that you love deeply. And I get it. I understand that. There's also a thing called sad Seasonal affective disorder, it's literally that you're not getting enough vitamin D as it's rainy or it's cloudy and, and the sun resets, I think it sets at like 1.15, so like <laughs> go outside right after church because you only have minutes to be in the sunshine, but that affects us physically and emotionally and mentally and, and, and just this lack of vitamin D. There's times with family, do I, do I got to talk more about that? Like families can be difficult to come together and to gather in a home with differing opinions and differing beliefs and, and the drama that's occurred in your family over the last number of months and you have to be face to face. You have to sit across the table from that uncle who said that thing or that aunt that posted something a month ago or whatever it is in your family. And isolation is real, especially this year. Coming 
18, 19, 20 months into COVID as people are more and more isolated. And if you're at home and you feel isolated, we miss you, but we understand you're not alone. We're with you. I mean, we're not sitting on your couch, okay? You don't have to go put, you know, more than a robe on. You're okay. But isolation is real. And last week we talked about how it's okay to cry out to God, sometimes in worship, sometimes in confusion, other times in anger or in grief. And the truth is that we were created to both commune with and communicate with our Father. And so it's okay in this season to cry out about your own difficulties and the things that you're feeling. And you hear that song saying, Andy, just shut up. It's not the most wonderful time of the year. But as we think about others, boy, I don't know if you saw the tree on the way in right at the back. That's our acts of kindness tree. And this season, we want you to, on your way out or on your way in, go over to that board and pick up one of the pieces of paper. Don't even read it. Just from far off, pick one. Go grab it, pick it up, and commit to do that act of kindness. Because you don't know where God is going to lead you prayerfully then fulfill what that act of kindness is on the little gift. And you're actually going to replace it with a little ornament there on the table next to it. So it's if you walk out the center aisle, you'll run into the tree. Grab one of those in this mindset that people are going through difficult circumstances. Prayerfully ask, God, where can you lead me? Who do you want me uh, to give this act of kindness to and trust that he is going to be at work through your life, bringing hope and making this time of the year a little bit more joyful. And then continue to cry out to God for your own stuff. As you're seeking him, he is going to be faithful. If you're seeking him with all of your heart, if you're drawing closer to him, he promises he will come close to you. Isaiah is famous for writing of a voice crying out in the wilderness. And this is some 680 years before Jesus would walk the earth that he was saying these things. And he was talking to a time that would come in the near future, but he was also talking of a man named John who would be born six months or so before Jesus, would be a family member of his and would also be out in the wilderness preparing the hearts of the people for his arrival. And we get to do the same thing, be out and about talking about the goodness of God and the things that he has done in your life, preparing people's hearts for the arrival of the Savior possibly in their own lives. I want to jump into Isaiah. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 56. It'll be on the screen, but you can turn there in your Bible, scroll there in your U version. Uh, download that if you don't have it, and you can get our Advent uh, devotional as well. But in Isaiah 56, chapter 1, he starts off with this. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed. This is a talking about the inclusivity of God, a different message than possibly you'll hear by the world as people talk about our faith, about how we push people out, about how we are not inclusive, about how God will only let certain people in, but that just is not the truth as you read in his word, and Isaiah speaks of this as well. He says that for all those who would do justice, keep righteousness, Soon my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed. 
It is clear of who God wants to include in on this. It's an invitation to everybody to do justice, to keep with righteousness, being in a right relationship with God. Not as the culture would define this, but as God defines this, and he's going to continue to unpack that here in a second. But do you hear those words? For soon my salvation will come. This is a Christmas prophecy. He's saying soon this is going to arrive on your doorsteps in a way that maybe you wouldn't have expected it. Verse 2 says, blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds fast to it, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. I think that even to Christians, we think very little of Sabbath. It doesn't mean a whole lot to us, if we're honest. It's so much more than a few hours set aside on a Sunday to come and be at church. It's so much bigger than that. Exodus chapter 31, it says, Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout the generations as a covenant forever. He's saying that this day should be called out that it should be set aside, that it should be holy. And he's talking to this kind of twofold because not only is the day called out and set aside and holy, but God's people also were called out and set aside and holy. Israel was called to be different from the people around them, and Sabbath was a part of this. He continues in verse 17. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. You see, this is a sign of the covenant for God's people to the rest of the world. And it's a supernatural interaction. It says that... Uh, that and he was refreshed. You see, this covenant, through this covenant of Sabbath, he wants to refresh us as well. Verse 56, uh, 3 in Isaiah says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Again, these are, are words of inclusion. Those who were not Israelites were not cut off. I think sometimes we think that, that, that the Israelites, the chosen people, were the included one, and that makes everybody else the excluded one. But in Exodus chapter 12, it says, If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all of his males be circumcised, and he may be able to come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. He was welcoming and including of the foreigner. One law for all of those who would become children of the covenant. The promise was one of inclusion. And he says this, don't say that the Lord will surely separate me because I'm a foreigner. Because that just wasn't the case. Second half of verse 3. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. I told you last week we were going to spend some more time talking about eunuchs, right? You were like, I don't know if he is. He is. 
You know, I think a lot of times when we hear this word, we go straight to the definition of a eunuch as somebody that's been castrated, uh, which did happen at times, especially for those who would work uh, in the household of, of royalty, possibly working with the harem. They wanted to castrate those dudes. Yeah, that happened. Or, or even in royalty when somebody was going to be working with the wife or the daughter of that royalty. But Jesus himself defines what this means in Matthew chapter 19. He says, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, those who from birth who could not have children, okay? And then there are those eunuchs who have been made by uh, human hands, like those working with the royalty or maybe victims of abuse or of some crime. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And those are those who have chosen celibacy, whether that was for a season or for a lifetime, and Jesus continues with, let the one who is able to receive this, receive this. There are those that were born without the ability to reproduce. There are those who have been made so by human hands, but largely there are those who have chosen a life of singleness, and Jesus himself says, this is difficult. This is a hard call. If you can receive it, receive it. He's not the only one. You see, Paul talks about this also. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, no, no, hold on, let me go back. Uh, no, no, I do want to talk about that. All right, so it's 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now as concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. See, it was thought that Paul was probably married at one point in time and then became a widower. In verse 32, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord, but a married man is anxious about worldly things. How to please his wife and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and in spirit. You see, the church has made the mistake of putting marriage as the pinnacle of the Christian experience, and that just is not accurate. God is saying, I have a plan for singles. He's very clear on this. First Corinthians verse 17, verse, chapter 7, verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him out. The commentator Alec Moyder says this, singles are as free as any other people to enter this sphere of grace. This is another way of expressing co-equal, not second-class participation. To them, the Lord grants access to his presence, his personal acceptance, more than abundant recompense for the deprivations, better than, and eternal security. So to those who have chosen a life of singleness, or maybe singleness has chosen you, Right? He says this, don't say I am a dry tree, that I will not leave behind a lineage because God has a different plan for singles. Let's check it out in verse four. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, 
who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters, and I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. For those who keep my Sabbaths, we talked about that, that, that this is a dedicated time to, to dedicate to the Lord that he might refresh us mind and body and soul. To those who choose to please me, he says. Now, this is all about dying to self. We're all called to die to self and not follow our own desires, but God's desires for our life. And that's easy in one moment, but it's difficult when we have to do it month after month and day after day. And that's why he reminds us to pick up our cross daily to follow him. Hold fast, he says, to my promises. Hold on to them. Remain tightly secure or continue to believe and adhere to my promises And this is what I'll give you. Here's my promises, he says. A house and within my walls, a monument. You will have home and family within the church, within my people, within community. Jesus promised the same in Mark chapter 10. He said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this lifetime, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions uh, uh, and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus backing up what is being said through Isaiah here. He's saying, I have a plan for you if you have given up family, if you have given up children, if you have given up a spouse, I will provide for you. Now, church, I have to be honest. Singles, take just a minute here, okay? I'm not talking. I gotta talk to the rest of the church for a little bit. We have done an ex- at exceptionally well at doing an exceedingly poor job of this. We have. Of including people in our lives, about living as true community. You know, the song talks about a lot of holiday traditions and all the things that will take place, and we need to be looking for opportunities to invite people who are single into our lives, into the rhythms of our life, and into our traditions, and Christmas is a perfect opportunity for that. And I consider myself amongst you. We have not done a good job of this. God says, I have provided a family through my church. I have provided community. I have provided a way for for single men and women to help raise children. It's called my church. I have provided a place that they could have a home for a holiday meal. It's called the church. I've had a place that they can be in deep and closely intimate relationships with others. It's called the church. And you are the church. I am the church. We need to do a better job of this. Okay, I'm done, singles. You can check back in. (laughs) Promises continue. He says, I'll give you a name, a name better than sons of daughter. My plans for you are unique, he is saying to singles. Having children can't hold a candle to what I plan to accomplish through your singleness. 
I'm going to give you an everlasting name. Forget about passing your name on to a human heir. I want to do different things. And I want to pass your name on in a supernatural manner, an everlasting name. Paul agreed with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I have become your father in Christ through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. It's likely that Paul didn't have any children of his own, even though he was likely married at one point in time. And yet he is saying to Timothy, you are my son. You are my spiritual child, and I have invested in you. And Timothy would go on, and Titus also, actually, to have spiritual children of their own, maybe physical children as well. But he wanted to pass on an everlasting name that you shall not be cut off. You may have an earthly name, but someday all those earthly names will come to an end. But the investments that you make in the kingdom will last forever. Verse 6 and 7, and to the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. And I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer. Sound familiar? For all peoples, foreigners, those who feel like they've been left on the outside, the promises for you as well that would commit to the Lord, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servant, to keep his Sabbath and not profane it, to hold fast to his covenant and his promises. And he says to you, I will bring to my holy mountain. He's saying, I will bring you into my very presence you will get to commune with me. You will get to communicate with me and make them joyful in my house of prayer. That was the temple at one point in time, but do you remember Jesus clearing the temple? What did he say? Don't make it a house of robbers. This is to be a place, a place of prayer. He would then also shortly after say, not one stone of this temple will stay stacked on top of another. You know why? Because the temple is no longer going to be needed because he was going to reside on us, inside of us. And we are called to be a house of prayer. We are called to be a people of prayer. And that's what Isaiah says. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. I'll bring you into my presence. You'll be in communication with me. My presence will reside in you. And instead of one location at the temple, my presence will reside in millions of temples walking around this earth, bringing other people, including them, into my plan. And this would have meant so much to foreigners hearing this message and understanding, seeing a, a dedicated people a people that were not just about inclusion of themselves, but actually they were blessed in order to be a blessing to others, that they could include others in this. But Jesus said uh, something about this. He says, um, Christ, for, for in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. 
For many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek or slave nor free. There is no male or female, but you are all one in Christ. That's from Galatians. But this same message is being preached by Isaiah. I want to include all. Then he closes in verse 8. This way, at least the part that we're going to talk about today. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts. Let that set for a minute. Like, isn't that great news? Come on, people. Amen. amen. Yeah, yeah. We're allowed to say amen. I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm debating. Yeah, we're a white church. We're really white, but we say amen every now and then. I'm just, I'm white. Yeah. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those who are already been gathered. We're going to take communion here in a second. The band's going to come up. And, and I want us to think about this. This message of not exclusion, but of inclusion. The people that Isaiah chooses to, to focus on, the foreigners. You know what, if you feel like you, you don't belong. You know, he talks to the eunuchs to the singles, and he's saying, I know what the world says about you, but you are to be included as well. I love that last one, the outcasts of Israel. Even the insiders had outsiders, right? And sometimes we can feel that way that, I don't know, I just don't fit in. I just feel like I can't be accepted, and yet God's message to us is one of inclusion and what a Christmas message it is for soon my salvation will come. And that was pointing to this cross and this moment of communion, his body that would be broken. His salvation was going to come in him breaking his body, his side split, blood spilling to pay for our shortcomings. Why? Because he wanted to include you. And as we're singing this song, I just want you to take some time to worship and, and to, to thank him. Maybe have a conversation with him. Maybe talk to him about some hard stuff that's going on in your life. But to recognize his inclusion of you. Life is tough. And this season on some days will feel like the most wonderful time of the year. And on others' day, it will feel like the exact opposite. Until we remember that this season reminds us that soon my salvation will come. But not only that, but the fact that it has already arrived. Salvation arrived one night and was placed in a manger. Salvation was paid for when he went to the cross. Salvation was verified when the tomb was empty on Sunday and salvation is inclusive of all who would put their lives and faith in his story. Salvation available to all is what makes even the most difficult days still a part of the most wonderful time of the year. And we get to be the ones to take that message out of these walls. I want us to rehear the words uh, of God through Isaiah, and as we do and prepare for this moment of communion, I want you to close your eyes. And just listen again to a paraphrase of, of that verse. To each and every one of you who feels like you're an outsider, an outcast, 
If you feel like you don't fit or belong anywhere else, you belong here. I will gather you in, you and many others, who would never guess or assume that they would be included. You will all be insiders, the gathered, my chosen.